Hello, welcome to North Coast Calvary Chapel's audio podcast. Good morning. Wow, look at this snowy scene. Aren't you glad we live in Carlsbad and don't have to deal with that? I was there last week up in Boise, Idaho for some flight training in a small aircraft in snow. So I made it. I lived. <laughs> we were flying home on the commercial flight and the pilot announced, uh, you know, from, uh, from Seattle down here, like, yeah, and San Diego's reporting 59 degrees. All the locals were like, dear God. And all the tourists were like, take top weather. <laughs> like, we live in the right place, man. We live in the right place. Well, hey, uh, this morning's message is titled, uh, Joseph, the Radically Boring Stepdad of the Messiah. And here's why, uh, because uh, I drew the last straw in this series, and so, you know, James took Zacharias and Elizabeth, and uh, Mark took Mary and the Magi, and I was left with uh, Joseph or Herod. So uh, I chose Joseph. Uh, hey, you guys want to hear a cool Christmas story? Yeah. I was on assignment uh, for Nations Media in, in the Holy Land. It was about five years ago. And uh, while we were there, we were staying uh, just in Bethlehem at the Bethlehem Bible College. And if you're familiar with that area, right by Checkpoint 300, it's a contentious area. And while I was there, there was a calling for a third intifada, the rising up of the Palestinians to, uh, to war against Israel because uh, there was just a lot of back and forth happening and uh, it was a very scary time to be there. We were headed back to our place uh, after work, and the sting of uh, of uh, of gas was was in our eyes. And we're like, "Oh my gosh, what is that?" And we start tearing up, and and uh, we go down, and and uh, these people were kind of coming up the street. And we're like, "What's going on down there?" Like, "Oh, all hell's broken loose. Don't go that way. Uh, it's it's really really bad." And they're like, "Yeah, it's it's only like." CNN and, and just chaos. And of course, for me, that's like an invitation. I'm like, cool. And so uh, we run down there. Uh, my friend and I, uh, who works, who was the CEO of an organization called Open Doors, works with the persecuted church. And so we run down there. And sure enough, it was. It was just crazy. Uh, Israeli um, shot and killed a Palestinian protester right in front of us. And it was just ab- two days of absolute horrific violence. Uh, the hotel right across the street from us, all the windows were shot out and the uh, tree, all the trees were on fire. It was, it was crazy. It was crazy. Um, and so between that, I, I went up and I interviewed this guy, Sammy Awad. Does anybody know who Sammy is? He's, uh, he's a Palestinian uh, who studied and grew up studying nonviolence. And so a really fascinating guy who's uh, a peacekeeper. And, uh, and so his whole thing was like, in order to understand and love my enemy, I think even practicing nonviolence isn't the way of the gospel. And so he went with uh, his Jewish friend, his Israeli friend to uh, sleep in where they, in Auschwitz, where uh, they, um, they gassed the little, the little kid gas chamber. And so his story is, it was remarkable. It was really profound. But while we were there, we, uh, we go just four blocks from where all this chaos is happening and we go up these amazing, this old stairwell, stone stairs, and there's these little apartments with little families living uh, you know, um, off of this, this stairwell. We get up to the very top and that's where his office is. And it looks out, has a beautiful view. And we're like, oh, this is amazing. What a great place to do an interview. And uh, he goes, hey, let me, Joel, let me show you something cool. So he goes, we go out this door 
And now we're in like a, on like this little cobblestone road and there's a little archway there. It's a really beautiful little roadway. And he goes, this is the original gate of Bethlehem. And I'm like, that's awesome. Like very cool, you know? And uh, I'm like, wait a minute. So is this the gate that Mary and Joseph came through? He goes, yes. And I'm like, whoa, that is so cool. If you've ever been to the Holy Land, it's just amazing for the first time to just walk where Jesus walked and all the stories actually come to life. And I'm like, wait a minute. So Mary and Joseph knocked on your door and there was no room at the end. He goes, precisely. I go, that is so cool. (laughs) Anyways, I thought I'd share that with you guys. Um, So this is Christmas. This is uh, the time of year we celebrate the birth of Jesus. And let's be honest, usually only to orphan him come New Year's Eve. You see, Christmas is all about Jesus. It's all about born to us, the solution to the world's problems. And yet New Year's comes and we so quickly shift it right back to us, at least I do. And it becomes about my New Year's solutions, the things that are gonna fix the problems in my life. And typically it's see you again at Easter, Jesus, and we go on with our lives. So what should we do this Christmas? What can, who can we look to to encourage us to stewarding the presence of Jesus correctly? This was the mission I've been on the last few weeks to understand that. Well, how, be, how about we look to Jesus' stepfather, Joseph? Again, the radically boring stepdad of Jesus. Now, Matthew chapter one starts off with the story And it starts off with a genealogy. It says the record of the genealogy, Matthew 1, verse 1, the record of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And so we see here that that God promises Abraham in Genesis 22, 18, says, in your seed, all of the nations of the earth shall be blessed. And this is well understood in the Jewish community that the Messiah would come from his bloodline and that it would be provable through genealogy. And later, uh, God promises David in 2 Samuel seven twelve that he would build David's house and that his seed would sit on the throne forever. Now, this was well understood that the Messiah, again, would come through his bloodline through the Davidic covenant. So we have 41 generations and, and all throughout Matthew 1 here that include Rahab, love Rahab. So we understand that in this bloodline, it includes Gentiles. It's very important to understand that. We see Ruth, we see Zerubbabel. It's not a fun word to say, Zerubbabel. I think some of you hipster parents should name your kid Zerubbabel. Wouldn't that be cool? (laughs) See a little kid running around the North Coast Calvary name type, Zerubbabel. I think that'd be cool. I'll take credit for it when it happens. And in verse 16, check this out. It it, it ends with this. Joseph, the husband of Mary, by whom Jesus was born, who is called the Messiah. So the most important genealogy in all of scripture ends and leads to our man, Joseph. That's pretty cool. But wait a minute. Joseph is Jesus' stepdad. So how does this all play together? Why the importance of the genealogy? Well, In this case, it's to legally prove and show to the Jews that Jesus, again, is the prophesied Messiah, that he's the descendant of Abraham and David. And so they knew that was gonna be the case. Even being his stepdad, he legally adopted Jesus. And so he had to be in that lineage. And so they show that. And then second, there needs to be, uh, this shows the need for a virgin 
birth. And here's why. Do you guys remember, G, uh, remember King Jeconiah? Of course you don't, because no one reads genealogies. No one. Uh, let's be honest. Anybody here read through the Bible this year? Or do a two-year Bible reading plan? How'd you all do in numbers? I know how it goes. It's like, and this dude begot this dude. And after a while, you're, just, you're not reading the names. Well, in this lineage is this King Jeconiah. And then there's a curse on this guy. He also has a couple more names, Coniah and Jehoiast, whatever. Uh, <laughs> and in Jeremiah 22, 30, it says, thus says the Lord, write this man childless, a man who will not prosper in his days, for no man of his descendants will prosper sitting on the throne of David or ruling again in Judah. So, meaning this man in the lineage of Jeconiah, no man in the lineage of Jeconiah can rule over the Jews or be king of the Jews. Aha. And if you really wanna go down into a theological deep dive on this, you can. It's a deep one, folks. So if you're into the whole like hanging out at the seminary till 3 a.m., arm wrestling over something crazy like this, you can do it. It's a really fascinating deep dive that you can look into this king and look into this curse. But all it points to, in my opinion, and then there's even like, there's a second Jeconiah in scripture. And so people argue, but really I, I believe that this is the Jeconiah being spoken of and this curse comes all the way down to Joseph, which I think perfectly proves the need for a virgin birth. Not just to fulfill prophecy, but to remove this curse over Jeconiah. So Mary's lineage is imperative here that we understand that her lineage through David is through David's son, Nathan. So you look at that in Luke and you'll see that it's through David's son, Nathan. And Joseph's lineage is through David's son, Solomon. So meaning this, that all this comes to a point that Jesus can and will fulfill prophecy to reign from the throne of David in the new Jerusalem. We believe as Christians that that is going to happen, but it's through, it's through Mary. So both of them are important and we see that come together. And in that day when Jesus does rule from and fulfill that prophecy to reign from the throne of David, we'll sing the song, joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room and heaven and nature sing. I hate to be the theological Grinch at Christmas here, but this is the second coming of Jesus. It's not a Christmas song. The worship band was like, no, don't take the song from us. It's the only upbeat Christmas song we have. I'm like, well, you guys will have to like change the lyrics to Run Run Rudolph because this is, this is different. Here's, listen to this. He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and the wonders of his love. And see, this is the second coming of Christ, not the first coming. It's okay, we can sing it. We're not here to ruin Christmas, but we have to understand that this is gonna be the fulfillment of that prophecy. What a wonderful thing this is. And so that's why this lineage and genealogy is so important. So why did God choose Joseph? Again, this just, this carpenter is just, He's not a biblical hero. Shouldn't it have been someone amazing? Well, he picks Joseph and he wasn't a rabbi or a priest, you know, someone who could teach Jesus about religion. He wasn't wealthy or influential, someone to connect Jesus to the powerful. He had no experience raising kids. He was poor and from Nazareth, far from the seat of power in Jerusalem. So let's get to know this Joseph a little bit. Matthew 1 verse 18 says, now the birth of Jesus Christ 
was as follows. When his mother, Mary, had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translates means God with us. And Joseph awoke from the sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife, but kept her aversion until she became, until she gave birth to a son and he called his name Joseph. So right out of the gate, we see and meet this Joseph the merciful in Matthew 1, 19. It says this, and Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man, and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. Joseph wanted to do what was right before God and men. This being, he was declared and identified as being a righteous man. But Joseph being a good Jew, knows he can't marry a woman who is pregnant by another man. So he plans to send her away secretly. The text says, as to not disgrace her. Now it's important to understand the context of what culture was like in this day. Like it's very different obviously than how we live today. Pregnancy out of wedlock in that time brought a great embarrassment to the family, a great embarrassment. The husband would oftentimes reject and divorce after this would take place. Um, very, there's very to little to no reconciliation. Wife uh, could be subject to death by stoning. This was a common practice in the first century Palestine. The wife could be subject to death. Um, Family and community would shun the woman after adultery. So she would have no place even within her own family. And ultimately she would have nowhere to go. Uh, When this would take place, uh, she would become usually a housekeeper for a wealthy family or go into prostitution. So um, Joseph being merciful and kind, even in this situation as complex and crazy as it was, He's like, man, I'm just gonna send her away secretly. This is the most merciful thing this man could have done in this situation, which is a lot to say for, uh, for, again, for the time. Number two, we see Joseph the humble. We see a very humble man here, Matthew 1, 20. Uh, so Joseph uh, 1, 20 says this. So when he had considered this, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. So Joseph had his plan to send Mary away secretly, but God reveals his plan to Joseph through a dream. It says this, Joseph, son of David, he reminds Joseph of his lineage. Don't forget who you are. Don't forget where you came from. Don't forget the importance of your lineage. And number two, he says, yes, you're not the father. God's the father. Say what? Yeah, God's the father. Well, I know God's the father, but the Holy Spirit is the one who impregnated Mary. This is crazy. Can we all just take a step back and say, if I was in Joseph's shoes in this moment, in this time, I don't know what I would have done. First or third point here is to go, go ahead and take Mary as your wife and name the boy Jesus, name him Emmanuel. So again, let's put Joseph, let's put ourselves in Joseph's place for just a minute. 
would you question that dream? Yes, thank you, an honest person in church. Yeah, of course you would. <laughs> this is nuts. Can we all just say, yeah, this is a crazy, crazy, crazy story. And especially in the West, because we, in our culture, um, we could, this is another sermon, but we just don't have, a part of our spirituality, we don't really deal with vivid dreams like this. It's not commonplace for, say, yeah, I was dreaming last night. God met me in my dream and said this, and so now I'm doing that. That's not usually what happens in our church context. Again, I, I think I've shared the story, I'm sure I have in a couple of years ago, but when, when Mark and I were in Iraq, um, we were working on the documentary about the genocide. And one of the very last days, I think this was our first trip there, we had uh, our hosts were like, hey, we wanna take you to one more IDP camp, internally displaced people. Again, the people who had been chased out of their homeland uh, by ISIS and were now living in these tent cities, basically. Uh, um, and so they wanted to go take us to one more place. We're like, okay. And we're already, it's at the end of the trip. We're thinking about our flight home. We're, we're tired, we're hungry. It was a very ominous uh, morning, I remember. Like the clouds were dark. And it was, I mean, IDP camps are, it's a very sad place to be. And we entered the camp and, and uh, everybody was somber. Everybody was, I mean, I mean, you've all been camping before, right? Camping's fun for about 15 minutes. They had been camping, been camping for three years through all sorts of weather. And so, I mean, I, I, I understand. But in the middle of this camp, there's this one little tent that was just beaming with joy and life and laughter. And we're like, what is this party tent? So we go in and we meet Joseph and Miriam and their six kids living in this little tent. And they're just like, welcome and tea. And you know, and we're just like, whoa. And all of a sudden we're there, we're in it. Mark's like, all right, I like this. And, we're, and we get to know Joseph. And Joseph, what's your story? He goes, well, he goes, my name was once Muhammad. We're Muslim people. And uh, I went to bed one night and Jesus met me in my dream. I'm like, no way, I've always wanted to hear one of these stories. You always hear the missionary tell these stories. And I'm like face to face with somebody who's got one of these stories. And he goes, yes. And Jesus came to me and he says, Muhammad, would you trust me for salvation and for eternal life? And he goes, and you know what I did? I said, yes, of course. And I took his hand and I woke up and I said, Miriam, my beautiful wife, guess what happened to me last night? And he shared his dream and she goes, what? She goes, you're dead to me and you're dead to this community. They'll probably kill you for this conversion. Good luck, see you later. She put her kids in the minivan and took off. And I'm thinking to myself like, yeah, so that's when you said, I'm just kidding. I'm crazy. It was a dream, come back. He goes, no, it was the most real thing I've ever experienced in my life. I met Jesus. And I'm just going, I don't, I don't even know how to relate to that. That is, I can't imagine my wife saying, we're leaving, oh, you know, I'm sharing this dream with you. We're leaving you. And for me to go, okay, cool. I'm fine with the outcome of that. But that's how real Jesus was in this moment, life altering. So I'm like, well, maybe, wait a minute, Miriam, you still here? She goes, yes. And so, so I left and I went and went to my parents' house and I told them what had happened to Muhammad, that he was changing his name to Joseph. And this was crazy. I went to bed and you're never gonna guess who met me in my dream that night. <laughs> <laughs> Same exact thing. So now they're together and right in the middle of this massive IDP camp is this little 
tabernacle of joy, uh, uh, Joseph and Miriam's house and their six kids. Just awesome. So cool. So cool. But anyways, all that to say is that Joseph didn't question his dream. He knew without, he was certain that God had spoken to him and he held fast to it. So Joseph had the humility to laying down his own plans and trusting God. What a radical, radical uh, attribute to Joseph. Despite his pain, the confusion of his betrothed wife being pregnant, he's not the father. Uh, Despite the public opinion of him, everybody knows the story. They're going, "Uh uh-huh, it was the Holy Spirit. Okay, whatever, Joseph, you're nuts. Mary's nuts. This whole thing's crazy. He stayed true to doing what God asked him to do. And despite the fear of being entrusted with Jesus, stop and think about that for a minute. I mean, you're a carpenter. You're like building a bookshelf one day and all of a sudden God's like, hey, hey, Joe, uh, I need someone to raise my son, Emmanuel, the one who's gonna take all of sin from humanity and provide an avenue to come to into relationship with me and you're the guy. Say what? He trusted God in it, pretty amazing. So we see that Joseph marked by humility. Third, we see Joseph, the faithful. And this comes from Luke chapter two. We know that he's faithful to Mary. Uh, It doesn't say this in the text, but many theologians believe that, that Joseph journeyed with Mary to go see Elizabeth. That was a very dangerous route from Nazareth uh, to Bethlehem and Jerusalem area, um, 70 to hundred miles, depending on what route you went. Um, it was very dangerous. Many believe that he, he accompanied her on that journey. Uh, he married her after all that debacle and he protected her, uh, moved them to Egypt. Um, so again, he was very faithful to Mary, uh, but he also was faithful to Jesus and the law. Let's look to Luke chapter two, verse 21. It says, and when eight days had passed before his circumcision, the name then was called Jesus, the name given him to by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days for their purification according to the law of Moses were completed, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord as it is written in the law. Every firstborn male that opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what was said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And again, we see in Luke uh, 2, 39, said when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they turned to Galilee, to their own city of Nazareth. The child continued to grow and to become strong, increasing in wisdom and of grace. And the grace of God was upon him. Now his parents went up to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when, they became, when Jesus became 12, they went up according to the custom of the feast. And so we see two things taking place here. One, Joseph took seriously the responsibility of obeying the law and raising his son according to the law. For us, the picture of this would merely mean discipleship, to train up a child in the way he should go. We understand that responsibility, that burden. It's a, it's a, it's a heavy thing to raise a kid, you know? I love as, uh, as Mark often says, he's like, yeah, we just have kids because that's what we're supposed to do. Get married, have kids. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh my gosh, you got this little breathing human being, this little mound of flesh that's like looking at you. And, they're, and the doctor's like, okay, cool. You can go home now. And you're like, um, can a nurse come with us? Like, I just feel like we're breaking all the rules by taking this precious little thing home to our crazy household because we've only been married a few years or whatever. 
But it's a massive responsibility that Joseph uh, takes on. And he does, he does an incredible job raising Jesus. We see that um, Joseph mentored Jesus in carpentry. Uh, He involved him and trained him in his occupation. This is something that I've been thinking a lot about lately. Um, uh, You know, my son is in in middle school now, Liam, and and he's got an elective uh, and he's taking photography and he's just stoked on it. And it's been so fun to get to really pour into him my occupation, filmmaking and photography and going, oh, and you know, Liam comes up and he's like, dad, do you know what an F-stop is? I'm like, yes, let's talk about F-stops. Actually, Liam's right there. Am I embarrassing you, Liam? Just tell me to stop, man. But it, it's, been, it's been so cool to, like, to get to experience that with you, Liam, and to see your joy and to get to pour into you as a father and to, and to show you my trade and to train you up in it. And so we see that Joseph does this with Jesus. He invites him into his world, gives him a trade, and it's, it shows that Jesus did that very well. I think it's really cool. And as parents, I think we must be faithful to be holistic parents, meaning that we need to be our kids' pastors. We need to be our kids' teachers. We need to be our kids' coaches. It's so easy in this day and age to just drop our kids off of school and go, educate my kids, take them to sports and just go, okay, go play ball, take them to church and go, Willie, train up my child in the way he should go. Man, don't trust us pastors. We don't care about your kids that much. (laughs) I'm telling you, man. No, we love your kids. We love your kids. We're doing our job to the best of our ability. But listen, it's so important that we do this for our kids, that we really, as the church, we have an opportunity to really shine in our community by how we train up our kids. It's so important. Now, I'm not saying to get all cultish and weird and like, I'm their pastor. I'm their only teacher or coach. No, it's a wonderful community we live in. Let, let our kids learn from everybody. But I think we should be the primary. Does that make sense? I don't know. I was just been convicted of that going through this passage and, and really wanting to um, make sure that I, you know, I, I get to pastor a lot of people here at, at North Coast and in Carlsbad, but my number one responsibility is to pastor that little dude right there and make sure that he understands who Jesus is wholeheartedly. And that's a lot of work. It's an awesome responsibility. Pastoring is tough, tough, tough work. And it's especially hard when it's your own. So fourthly, we have Joseph, Joseph, the radically boring man. Why am I so hung up on him being boring? I just, I don't know. I just see this guy is boring, I think. But I think this, I think we need more examples of faithful, humble, merciful people, AKA boring people. We're inundated with stories of courageous, bold, amazing people, and especially in the church. For me, it's like, that's where I'm drawn to. My job and, and occupation as a journalist is like, I go around the world, I'm finding where amazing missionaries and amazing pastors are, are living out these amazing stories and I'm drawn to it. When I preach sermons, I wanna find the most exciting thing to get us all fired up for Jesus. And I got Joseph and well, he's not Moses. He's not this, uh, he's not this mighty religious leader and and nor are many of us in the room. Um, we're not all Joshua's leading people into battle, into victory. Uh, we're not all Peter called to quit our jobs and go plant churches. We're not all Paul, epic missionaries, shipwrecked and persecuted. And I think it's okay. Um, granted, there are gonna be times when God does call us or ask us to be courageous. We know that. 
But like Joseph, we do need to be interruptible and ready, but not found chasing. I think at least in this season at Christmas, I have such a tendency to chase the exciting, chase the remarkable, chase the unbelievable. And I think there's something to be said for just being merciful and faithful and humble and saying, oh, out of all the things I can invest all my time and effort and energy, and I'm, I'm gonna pour into Liam. I'm gonna be faithful with that first and foremost. Yeah, there are a lot of people who go to North Coast Calvary Chapel, but that's, that's where I need to be. Yeah, but there's a lot of things at Nations Media that I can be chasing. Yeah, but this is, this is what I feel that I need to steward really well, especially this Christmas season. So the message here is to be a little bit more like Joseph this Christmas season. And, ah, geez, do I, you're not gonna like this. If you don't, my email is McKenzie at North Coast Calvary Chapel. <laughs> Again, again, I, I'm, I'm preaching to myself here. So if, if this is a little slap across the cheek, this has been a black eye to me, but I think I'm just gonna say it. I think we need to give up on some of our dreams. Um, I, the hush, yeah, exactly. At least the ones aren't specifically from God. The dreams that aren't specifically from God, let them go. Let them go, chill out. The ones that are causing jealousy or lust in our life, let them go. The ones causing us to be ungrateful for what we have already. I think we live in a culture that loves to dream. We love dreamers. It's exciting to dream. The American dream, all these amazing dreams, but I think we need to let some of them go. At least I do. I think we need to ease up on our drive. We live in a very driven culture, very driven. Many of us are driven and we are, you know, we feel the burden in our culture to be driven, to hustle. And I think our pursuit of perfection will fall short at some point. In fact, I know it. You're not perfect. I'm not perfect. Therefore, we'll never be perfect. I'm not saying give up or be irresponsible. I'm not saying that at all, but this drive, you guys know what I'm talking about in our culture? This unrelentless drive, I think we need to let it go. Let it go. The social burden to be all things to all people will ultimately hurt and sever the people God has entrusted us with, our spouse, our children, our family, etc. I think we need to give up our hero title. Um, you're not the savior. I'm not the savior. Uh, we're not the world changers. We love to say, oh, let's go change the world. And I, I, I love that, but I also feel a responsibility with that that's driven towards performance because Jesus is the savior of the world. He's the one. And yes, he invites us into that mission of being a part of him saving the world. That's why we're the church. That's why he's gifted us with amazing gifts and all this wonderful stuff. But there's a brokenness. It's a small shift when all of a sudden I assume that savior posture. And I'm telling you, man, I need to let it go at times. And even this idea of being the provider, gotta provide for my family. Listen, our name is not Jehovah Jireh, but I know whose is, it's not us. And so this Christmas season, I think it's time to fix our eyes on Jesus. He's the provider. Yeah, and I'm not saying to this like, man, just not go to work on Monday. I'm not saying that at all. But I think there can be a shift in just how we're living in and amongst our culture as believers. We should stand out a little bit. And I think we can model mercy, humility, and faithfulness above these other things, I think our lives will be more fruitful. 
At least I'm sensing that invitation for me this Christmas season. So as we've seen, there's not a lot to say about Joseph, but he is the entrusted one with the son of God. Other than that, he was a faithful and merciful husband who was kind, protective, strong. He's a good stepdad uh, who included his stepson and wonderful things. And uh, so I think the invitation here is to return to the simple. Um, Faithfulness, mercy, humility. This Christmas, let's be radically boring. Let's just chill out a little bit. Let's just be faithful with the simple things that God's called us to. But, but in that, let's be interruptible and ready for God to entrust us with his son, more of Jesus, with his spirit, more of the Holy Spirit, with his revival, with his healing, with his strength through uncertain times. I think uh, that's something that I'd like to say yes to. Um, Let's make it a point not to orphan Jesus this Christmas and in, in this new year. Let's keep him on the mantle. Let's keep him at the center of everything that we're doing. I needed the sermon. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. We love you. We pray, God, that you would just continue to open our eyes to the reason for this season. Um, Thank you for the example of Joseph. In fact, we don't even, scripture doesn't even say when he died because it's not the point. You were the point and he got out of the way. And so we accept that invitation to get out of the way a little bit here, to release some of the things in our life that are simply killing us. God, you came to give us life. You came as a baby to give us life. And we want that life. We're saying yes to you in this moment. We love you, Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening this week. If you're looking for ways to serve, give, or get connected, please visit our website, northcoastcalvary.org.